Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. I'm with my guys, Roa and Todd, to talk about Miami, the race that we all love to hate and maybe potentially hate to love at this point. I don't know. I mean, got some mixed mixed emotions around this track, around this race. But before we get into that, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. I was just going to say the party was not in the city where the heat is on. It was a lukewarm race, and our takes are the only thing scorching about this entire weekend, but I digress. I don't know. The, it just kind of felt like – you guys ever been to a party, and it's the world's best pizza and the world's best meatball subs, but there are no napkins? Because that's what that felt like today. <laughs> that is some inside baseball. No one else is going to get that. Um, that's but yeah, One for them, one for us. Yep. Yep. Reminds uh, me of the congratulations you did it in uh, Elf, world's best <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, we're going to get into it, but yeah, mixed emotions is right. Um, more inside baseball. This is our second attempt at recording this episode due to some technology issues last night. And. Yeah, I think I'm glad we had another day to absorb because we got some more info on the race and whatnot. But uh, really, really good attempts, maybe bad execution. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, just or to summarize. But it's uh, will and shall forever remain to be the white trash Monaco. Which is at least it's the placeholder until Vegas next year. That's yeah. true. I mean, yeah, we'll get into that. I mean, it's it's really the perfect place for, uh, you know, pretzels. Pretzels that leave you thirsty. Wishing the competition in this race it. left me thirsty. There, it was just like we got seven good laps in the beginning. And then we had a five-lap foreplay, if you will, of Charles trying to get it, trying to get it. But the brass ring kept eluding him. And this, as Martin Brundle put it, is the new Verstappen 2.0. He's, what was he, a tender-hearted young man but the wisdom of an old sage? If this is the case, it's just a question of can he make up the fact that he didn't finish in two races and got zero points? Because if he hadn't done that, if he had even scored points, I think this is a runway already. Yeah, I, I it's, I'm staggered at the fact that he's won every race he's finished so far and if he didn't have the i don't think he would have won the two races that he didn't finish but how much closer would he be in the championship uh if 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 he had finished those two races in p2 like we'd have a neck and neck championship this has been a great season so far don't get me wrong but it's i I think this felt again like we talked about in the last podcast is red bull finding that second gear you know that next level because it felt like no matter what uh, Ferrari did this weekend, that they they were just a step behind. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, but we do have a short and sweet review to read, right? We do have a short and sweet review to read. As it takes my laptop a little bit to load the said review, I will say this. AJ3 back in the day, thank you 
for yet another five-star review. Good show for new fans of Formula One. Formula One is a complicated sport, but this show helps me understand it. And because you didn't specify a goofy phrase, we're going to utilize that as a goofy phrase. So (laughs) if at any point there's something bewildering me or my co-host, it's straight Rashid Wallace time. It was a good game. Both teams played hard, and Formula One is a complicated sport, and this show helps us understand it. So that will be my verbal crutch for this particular show. So thank you, AJ3, back in the day. To all of our listeners who still haven't written a review, get off your asses. Give me a funny phrase to incorporate. Otherwise, we're going inside baseball because – I need reviews. They quench my thirst. I'm like pretzels. And the other thing I need are napkins because we give you pizza content, but nothing to clean it up with. So that's my PSA for the day. Todd, where are we? <laughs> I, <get nothing. laughs> I think oh, it's a uh, race race rundown time. Nick with the uh, finishing order. Let's do it. Um, all right. So Max Verstappen with Red Bull finished first. Charles Leclerc with Ferrari finished second. Carlos Sainz with Ferrari finished third. Sergio Perez with Red Bull finished fourth. George Russell with the Mercedes in fifth. Lewis Hamilton in sixth. Valtteri Bottas in the Alfa Romeo in seventh. Esteban Ocon in the Alpine uh, in eighth. Alexander Albon in ninth with the Williams. Lance Stroll last in the points in the Aston Martin. Fernando Alonso 11th. Yuki Tsunoda 12th. Daniel Ricciardo 13th. Nicholas Latifi 14th. Mick Schumacher, 15th, and Kevin Magnuson, Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly, Lando Norris, and Zhou Guan Yu all did not finish. So, as as stated, we did this we did this last night. Before we get into the topic that I know we're gonna get to with the Red Bull Alpha Tori conversation. I'm I was looking at this last night while like Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes are not that far off ever. Like, yes, they are not number one and number two, like they were last year, but they are the way they talk is if like they're the new Haas and like, they're still like comfortably competitive in that third spot team spot. I mean, I disagree. Talk to it. I think how at best, right? Okay. To your point, right? They have somehow they're magically like the, I don't know, anywhere from the sixth to seventh slowest car in qualifying. Generally, it feels like I can't give you numbers to back that up, but that's what it feels like to me. And then the race pace that comes alive a little bit where they're, you know, fifth, fourth, maybe you know, swinging for the third fastest car on race pace, kind of. I think the this was a really interesting weekend for Mercedes because free practice one, which we'll get into the fantasy later, free practice one made me swing for the fences, and I was like, damn, George looks real good here. George is um, getting excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, they, they looked really good on Friday on free practice one and two. And then... Whatever they did for free practice three, I think they changed their setup a little bit and lowered the right height, which brought the porpoising back real bad. So then for qualifying, they changed it back to whatever it was on Friday. And somehow the evolution of the track with with the grip, you know, ramping up over the weekend, they it just 
didn't work for the same way it was on on Friday. It didn't wasn't the good car. But back to your point or your question, um, they've been fortuitous in almost every race they've had a, a good result this weekend, right? Like the first race when they they were running in what sixth and seventh, and then they had all the DNFs, and then that gave them what was it three and four, I think. I believe yeah. that was the case. Yeah. That Lewis got a podium and then George got right behind him, right? Um, and then the I'm trying to remember the other races now. But overall, I think without getting in too much into the weeds, overall, I think they've been lucky getting into the spots that they've gotten into, which happened kind of again because they were out of position up until that safety car hit. They were like ahead of where they probably should have been in the pecking order, and then the safety car hit and it gave them kind of a breather to to stay where they were. It's just hard for me to think that they're less than like. So if they are considered the third team on the grid, performance wise, that that puts them at five and six, right? Lewis has finished third, tenth, fourth, thirteenth, and sixth. George has finished fourth, fifth, third, fourth, and fifth. So, like, they're right on to where they should, where we expect them almost, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, one man may call it fortuitous. I just consider that muscle memory and just being a professional race car driving. Mercedes hasn't beaten itself yet would be my observation. Everybody else is tripping in spite of themselves over the rakes that are all over the yard. And Lewis and George are kind of sidestepping on it. Now, I will say this. George is boat racing him right now. Safe to say, because there's still something off about Lewis, which is something we're all not used to. That being said, I thought this would be the race where he would kind of have some sort of momentum to come back. Because as we were all seeing in the uh, pre-race interviews, Everybody was kind of pulling for Lewis. I think America, if we had to pick a driver that's our country's famous and we do have a good front running, it would be Lewis Hamilton. But I don't know, like this is going to be interesting to me because wasn't there a moment in the race at some point where Lewis kind of was bemoaning the fact that, hey, the strategy is not working for me. And was that a pot shot at George or am I misinterpreting that? Yeah, I don't think it was a pot shot at George necessarily. I just think it was the the... When they chose to pit them on the first stint, uh, and then when the safety car happens, if Lewis pit it, if Lewis did decide to pit for an- another set of tires, he would have dropped a position of George. Granted, he would have probably been on new softs, so he would have had the chance to battle back. But then again, it's teammate against teammate, and right now Mercedes is just scrambling for points, whatever they can do. So he was just saying, like you know. I don't know, being kind of typical, a bit, a bit typical whiny Lewis, which he, when things don't go his way. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think, I think one thing that came up in another conversation after the race was, uh, um, what's his name from Ferrari, the team principal Ferrari? Uh, Benato. Matteo Benato. Benato. Uh, said, basically said, like, happy to be he's happy to be disappointed because they didn't win right and i feel like that kind of mentality is like the the exact opposite of mercedes right like mercedes expects to be one two 
always, right? Like for the past, I mean, they have been roughly for the past 10 years, pretty damn close to it. And I think that's the, an interesting way to look at it because if, if McLaren was performing and, and finishing the same way that Mercedes is, Todd and I would be stoked each week because we'd be like, well, shit, they got, you know, they're, they're easily third, you know, in the, in the constructors. But that's kind of an interesting way to look at it, too. And also to give credit to Ferrari, right, to to have graduated to where being second and third is, is disappointing. You have to it, it takes a lot to get to that point, right? No, it does. And Ferrari is back in all ways that we think every year Texas football is back. The New York Knicks are back. In fact, any New York franchise is back the minute they show any sort of competency. And Ferrari's finally overcome that mountain. I'll use this opportunity to kind of ask my newbie question of the week, branding. Here we go. If you were Mattia Bonato, would you rather have Charles Leclerc win the driver's championship or would you rather win the constructor's belt? That's a really deep question that we could like probably delve into at a later time. It's strange that uh, sport has two championships. It's like, it, it, it's like the, the, you know, a team winning the Stanley Cup and or, or uh, that's no one cares about hockey except for me. Let's talk about the heart uh, trophy, maybe. Well, like like the, the like, OK, football. Everyone likes football, like the Lombardi and the MVP. Right. So like it's almost like the, the MVP being as important as the Lombardi trophy. And this is the only sport that I can think of, at least, that has has that to me though the driver's championship is still just ever bit so more important and i think even the teams think if we'd rather have one or the other well the the accountants of the team definitely want to have the, the constructors right because there's a wild swing between <laughs> like i mean we're talking tens of millions of dollars difference yeah. in the placement so they'd much rather have the constructors um but the I think the the racers of the team, the you know, the engineers, the pit crew, the the whatever, like and the drivers obviously being the most important pieces of of that team or the faces of the team, whatever you want to call it, they'd rather have the driver's title. I think the team principal also kind of wants to have live vicariously through the driver in that aspect and have the driver's title. I, I I could be wrong, but like no, the only reason we're talking about Mercedes in this way right now is because they won eight constructors in a row, and before that it was Red Bull with four in a row. But if it was Haas and then Alpine and then Aston and then Mercedes and then Ferrari and then Red Bull, no one would talk about the constructors nearly as much as we do because we've only had for the last twenty years essentially periods of dominance. Yeah. Like it was Mercedes before that was Red Bull before that was. Well, Alpine had two, but then Ferrari or not Alpine, Renault, whatever. Renault. Well, Renault didn't even have two; they had one. And Alonso was on a different team for the second one. But anyway, um, <clears throat> the only reason we talk about it in the same light is because we have these eras of dominance between teams. So I waxed way too long on that than I thought of. But what do you guys think? I mean, I I kind of I kind of lean towards the team principal wanting the team to win. I, I would bet that there's more money in their pockets bonus wise. If the team wins a constructors championship, than there would be for a driver title. That said, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a flip of the coin, right? Like 
you want you like the it's the beauty of the sport as a fan in my opinion that you can root for an individual or you can root for a team and both of those can win right i can't root for you know this is a a, a you know an admittal that i don't necessarily want to throw out there to the world but like i'm a big clayton kershaw fan he plays for the dodgers like I, I, I want to see him succeed, except for when he's playing against the Giants. Sacre like, blue. <laughs> but that's an interesting thing that you just can't have in, in any other sport besides racing. And, you know, because in theory, yes, maybe in baseball you could have an MVP award and, you know, a team could win the title. But in racing, it, it's it's so much more, you're really about, you know, like you're really invested for the whole season, right? It's not like, cool, like, you know, I want LeBron to win a scoring title again, but I don't want the Lakers to win a, a championship. Like, that's just a weird, like, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right in other sports, I guess is the best way to put it. So that said, I think like for fans, especially new people to the sport, like be a fan of the people, be a fan of who you like. Like I'm absolutely a Haas fan because of, you know, Gunther, right? Like he is absolutely entertaining. Like I want to hang out and have beers with that guy even though I rarely have beers ever anymore. But like, that would be something that would just be amazing. Cause you know, he would just go off on something random and you'd just be totally entertained for an hour or two. No, I think uh, if Gunter is listening, please fuck smash the like button and subscribe if you can Gunter, <laughs> because Nick Engvall needs the companionship. He's been going through it a couple of weeks now and nothing would bring joy to this man's face, like a tasteful cameo. No, it's funny. You mentioned the MVP thing because it's this award that as American sports fans, we kind of have this weird backlash towards because yeah, for every MVP that has won that award, he's probably also not won the title. Dirk Nowitzki, uh, LeBron James in a couple of years. And it's kind of got this gift and the curse associated with it. I think as a relatively new fan, especially compared to my two peers here, I would think you would want the title because of Constructor, because of the fact that it is a team effort. And I think team principles above all else have to be parents. And while you may have a favorite in your mind, you can't show that favoritism unless somebody is continually delivering the results the way Lewis had, let's say, because ultimately that is a yard mark. That is a reference point we've had over the last decade in terms of just overall dominance. There's a reason why Botas is now having this career revival at Alfa Romeo because of the fact that he no longer is looming in Lewis's shadow because he could never, he was damned if you do, damned if you don't. It was essentially a Pierre Gasly type of situation. There's your segue, Nick, but it didn't have the publicity of the drive to survive with it. Like we saw in season two. Well, and there's, it's subjective for MVPs in every other league, right? Somebody votes on it. There's emotion involved. Some, some, you know, depending on the sport, right? Like it's, it's a press person. It's, you know, league people, but like numbers, right? Like numbers, is what formula one is all about. So like a, a driver goes out and wins a title. It's purely based on numbers with the exception of last season, which might be, a, you know, I was just going to say, like, <laughs> don't you think the voting was voting of one by Michael Massey last season? And just, no, it's not right. Uh, Michael. I don't know it's if not we right. Open that wound again. <laughs> <laughs> no, Michael, this is no, not right. Okay. Yeah, we can, we could probably go back and forth on that the last thing i would say is it we're blessed in being fans of this sport and host of this podcast because no matter what even if ferrari was running away with the the drivers say charles had won the first six or something 
it's still interesting because like because like we just said like it really matters who gets sixth and seventh in the championship and that even more so comes into account now with the sliding scale and the cost cap era because um you know Ferrari or sorry Mercedes right now is the most limited team on all of their CFD and wind tunnel time and that'll reset halfway through the season so if they're in P3 or P6 or god willing above P5 thanks to our bet um that that's going to start to make a difference so it it will will be interesting no matter who's in front in the drivers, the constructors will always be interesting and, and vice versa. Yep. And remind people of that bet and just in case they forgot. Uh, I believe it was a pack of Red Bull that I'm taking the over on, uh, or you took four down, right? So the over under four and a half uh, right. of Mercedes finishing four and a half or higher of, uh, at the end of the, the constructors. In the constructors championship and if they keep sneaking in and getting lucky, I'm looking like I'm going to be sending you a pack of Red Bull, but we'll see. Oh, wait, I guess so, it could be Monster since they're they're sponsored by I know, Monster. You know what? I would only like Rich Energy, please. I've looked to buy that. I know we're getting off into tangent here, but I've looked, it's, it's... I've looked to buy that in the U.S. so many times because I've I just want to have a can here for like a, you know, collection memorabilia thing and yeah. i found one on ebay and somebody wanted like 120 dollars for a pack of it and i was like no i'm not spending that on an energy drink i'll never drink so rich energy haas when we finally start the video portion or the video version of the podcast i've got a treat for you guys but it's only coming out when we start launching videos so Man, I got to lose wait. a couple more pounds now for you as well, Nick. <laughs> I was actually that? looking for something today online to uh, spice up my background uh, for f- future video podcasts. Yeah. All right. So back to Red Bull. I, I actually, I, I believe, I believe the bet kind of transitioned into like a Capri Sun kids drink or yeah. something, didn't it? it? It was a adult <laughs> beverage or a child beverage, depending on who won. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I'll take the child beverage. I don't drink either. So Capri Suns for me. Yeah, if, Capri if Sun I win. for Todd and his son. I like it. Um. So Red Bull, Max Verstappen, basically. I don't know. Is he untouchable at this point? It seems like. Red Bull's faster on the straights. They're slightly faster even through the curves this weekend. Maybe that's just track problems. But generally speaking, like they are just kicking ass and taking names. And I just don't know if uh, I don't know. Like I, f- I feel like like Rod said, this might just be a runaway here in the next no, few, they, few races. They've done what every older sibling has been forced to do or is anxious to do, which is just say, let's play a game of one to one and one. We'll go to seven. I'll spot you six. And then they'll just run seven points off and they look dominant. The only way I could see Red Bull getting in their own way, aside from a Julie curse, shout out to Julie. Hopefully the move is good, Julie. And now you can start cursing Max Verstappen again. If for no other reason <laughs> to bring more joy into Todd's life 
is if they have those power engine issues, because we kind of saw that happen to Checo. Like he was supposed to essentially help Max out, but he couldn't get past Carlos because of the fact that it wasn't due to his driver's ability, because I think right now he probably is the better driver on form alone. But because of the fact that his car is inconsistent, he couldn't get there. And I think that's what's saving Ferrari is the fact that Red Bull still hasn't figured out the energy component of it. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Um, I This is, again, talking about fantasy. But due to Friday, watching free practice on Friday, and all of the reliability issues, I was like, oof, this feels like... I know Julie hadn't... Or Oracle. Julie hadn't said anything about Max DNFing, and that was early in the weekend, and she just does it during the race to hurt, hurt my fantasy team. But they... They looked real bad to start the weekends. They looked off. Max lost a bunch of track time getting the laps in on a brand new track. Um, so I was I was like, oh, wow, maybe Ferrari's going to take this one because they looked really good. They looked good in the mid-speed, mid-speed corners. Um, and then we know that Red Bull has the better power unit, so they're just a, a bit faster. And I think it was something like seven miles an hour faster. Uh, down the straights without DRS. I was going to say um, that's DRS without DRS. So add the DRS, you've got what, 14 miles? It, I, I didn't do the conversion, but I was watching a Peter Windsor uh, video um, earlier today. And with DRS, it was like, like 18 kilometers an hour. So whatever that works out to in miles per hour with the DRS. And he still couldn't catch them, which is crazy. But I think the one thing, the real the real decider for for me at least in this race was Ferrari does a better job of firing their tires up immediately, or getting their tires into the working window faster, and Red Bull takes a little bit longer. But because of the track layout, surface, whatever you want to call it, it wasn't as important. Obviously, Max got that immediate pass done in the, the beginning of the race. Um, which really set him up to take on. And then once he had his tires in the the working window, he was able to use that, that power to get past uh, Charles. Um, but I think Ferrari just chews through its tires and we saw it in Imola too. They just chew, chew through their tires faster because they get a more, you know, warmer, faster. And Charles has a more like, do or die attitude about racing, I guess you could say. Well, which we we saw Max classically the last few years, right? It was, I'm either going to make this pass or I'm going to put you in the wall kind of. And he seems a bit more relaxed this, this year. And Charles having the weight of Ferrari being good again is a little bit more do or die. So, it, but, but back to Nick's original point or question, I, I think for our Red Bull feels like they've taken another step. And this next upcoming race in, in Barcelona, because that's a classic testing track and they have, you know, probably billions of data points and they know that track so well, it's going to be really interesting to see not only de the development updates that all the teams bring to that track, because it sounds like every single team is bringing updates, um, but where the pecking order is in Barcelona, because if Red Bull's... It, in front again, I don't see them catching up maybe until, or I don't see Ferrari catching up maybe until the summer break. If, if they even do. 
So one of the things you mentioned, Max, kind of going back to what Ro was saying about, uh, I forget the quote, but, you know, being a young driver, but being an old man mentally, it's, it's sort of, uh, he, he definitely was the, <laughs> the young whippersnapper driving, heading into corner one. Like there was no hesitation from him with signs on that first on, on, on the start of the race. Right. And signs basically backed off in order to not hit him. But like, that's also the interesting thing. Like, I don't think that we've seen like nobody else is, is as aggressive as Max is at the front of the races. Right. Like there's nobody Charles is, but he is in different situations. You know what I mean? Like he's always been either significantly in front, pretty comfortable. And like when, when he pushes it to that point, it's usually trying to get back, right. Trying to catch up or, or something where, you know, I think I forget which race it was, but we saw him spin, but it makes me wonder like, you know, if, if Max, if Max is really at this point where, you know, the, the, you know, the mental, uh, fortitude has gotten him through, you know, the, the young mistakes as a, as a driver, look, he's, he's arguably going to be one of the best drivers of all time. Like it's probably pretty likely that we're, we're going to have a conversation 10 years from now and he's still going to be in the, in the talk for the top, you know, two or three drivers on the grid. But I think it's really interesting to kind of, to your point about the, the improvements, one of the other things that came up in the post-race interview, um, forget who it was. I guess, I guess it was Mattia again with, with Will Buxton basically saying that, you know, Ferrari hasn't really done much to their cars where all the other teams at the top have actually spent a lot of money. So budget constraints might come into play this season in a way that, you know, they've no, no team has had to deal with that before really. Right. Like they've been, they've had budgets and then they just, blow through them and they're like, okay, cool. We had to spend more money to keep going because you wanted us to race. Right. Like the, the formula one, the FIA isn't going to be like, Oh, Lewis, Lewis and, and Mercedes spent all their money. So they're no longer racing the rest of the season. Like e- even though like, I know the budget is capped way lower this year and it's very much like a, a talking point. I still think that it's interesting to, to that. Nobody's really talking about it yet other than like Will Buxton bringing that up. And I thought, Oh, that's really interesting because to your point, I think like, you know, that almost gives Charles and Carlos with Ferrari a little bit more reason to be more aggressive, right? Like they can push it a little bit further and and know that like, okay, we're still going to get a better car or better, you know, better improvements from this regardless where like, if you get to the point where this is as good as it is, that's got a bit way heavy in somebody's mind if they're, you know, let's say they're third or fourth, let's say they're Checo, right? Like he's, he's running third or fourth almost every race. And if he's thinking, if, if that ever comes into play, like where like, okay, how do I back up max the way he has in the previous seasons and, and fight, fight off the, the competition, those types of things have to be in the driver's heads. Even, even if they wouldn't really probably admit it publicly, they have to think about this because they're, you know, so involved in the actual race in the car and everything, every aspect of this sport. Yeah, the psychology of this is great because you had mentioned Todd, and I think you also mentioned it, Nick. 
Max made kind of mincemeat of Carlos right off the start of the race. And I'm wondering, is that Carlos being a little cautious because of how the previous two races have ended for him? Because he he lost his point streak. That's all people were talking about. This beacon yeah, of consistency so. was turning mortal right before our eyes. So I'm wondering, A, does that contribute anything? The other thing I will talk about is the fact that I think in a previous episode, I was very adamant in my view that I don't think Max is having the championship sequel that we would want. Dare I say, I thought there was a bit of a hangover there because of the fact he was looking uncomfortable. He looked like he was coming off second best in the mind games. Like we talked about the famous, no, you sit, no, you sit. And then I'll go ahead and just overtake you after, as soon as you overtake me, match from Charles Leclerc. I do like your point around the fact that, hey, Ferrari is doing this with little to no modifications. Everybody's already gone to the hairdresser, so to speak, to get their new hair did. I do wonder... Are we almost putting too much stock in this? Because now the question around Charles, especially from a Ferrari perspective, is he's always had whispers about the fact that he may not be necessarily ready. And I will say this, I'm turning a new leaf in regards to how Max handled this race. Yeah, it was boring to watch as a viewer, but that was a professionally won race by Max. He is a bit like the Hulk where he's always angry. So he's ready to do that move and be aggressive. But now the thing is the situational awareness that previously eluded him is there in full spades. And that's what's scary about it because he is Mr. All or Nothing at this point. I am really worried about the fact that I don't think Charles has got the mental fortitude. So, I mean, I will be the guy that's calling into question around each guy's temperament. But you brought up that point that I hadn't even thought of. And I'm now wondering... Does Ferrari have Red Bull right where they want? Or is this just too much momentum that Red Bull's accumulated over the last couple of races where it doesn't matter if Ferrari thinks they have them because ultimately Red Bull is going to be its biggest competitor, like the way most dynasties are? Yeah, I think the – I'm so gl- glad you brought that up, Nick. The development talks that we haven't really talked about, Ferrari hasn't done anything to their car. Uh, Red Bull has brought two – somewhat small upgrade packages to their car so far. Uh, Back to Rohit's question. I don't think that we're at that stage yet, you know, being five races in, it's not like they've blown through 130 million of their $145 million budget yet. So they're both going to continue to develop to develop. And that's why I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens in Spain because if they both bring upgrade packages to Spain, and this is a good track for the testing and seeing, excuse me, seeing how these developments work out. If Red Bull is still, I don't know, four or five tenths a lap faster than Ferrari at this point, like they have been, I don't know if it's been four or five tenths, but it's been a, at least three tenths a lap. Um, then then it's going to start to feel that way for sure. That like, it's kind of a little Thanos-ish. I am inevitable. You're going to, you're going to be fighting me no matter what. Um, unless we see Mercedes, like we're all expecting, and we've kind of alluded to on this podcast already, that they just come out of nowhere with some big triangular shaped car that we haven't even <laughs> thought of. And they've been sandbagging this entire time and all of a sudden they're in the fight for the constructors because it's Mercedes and that's what we expect from German precision or whatever. But if Ferrari does it, which they said they are bringing developments to, to Spain, if they don't take a significant step forward and Red Bull kind of, or Max, I guess specifically 
runs away with this race, uh, it's going to start to feel like, all right, maybe, maybe it is going to just be that domination type of formula that we don't want to see because we just went through a decade of it. Yeah. Almost a decade of it. No, I I was just going to say we had four years of Red Bull and after that was the near decade of Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes winning. By the way, I was curious. I looked up the historical results of the Spanish Grand Prix. Who has won the last one, two, three, four, five Spanish Grand Prix? Mercedes. Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. From 2017 till 2021, it has been a Lewis Hamilton one race. So, I mean... If ever there is a fertile ground for narrative, it might be in Barcelona during the Spanish Grand Prix. Yeah, it, I think it's going to be a really interesting race to to just see how the teams come out, right? Like like Todd said, it's it's the perfect track for a lot of things, in my opinion. Except um, for racing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's terrible racing. Well, let's... let's so... I want to talk a little bit about about the AlphaTauri Red Bull relationship, but before we get into that, let's talk about let's talk about Miami. Let's talk about the track itself, because we've alluded to it, but we didn't really get into it. And watching the race was, I mean, damn near boring for a lot of the race for me, and I didn't realize until tonight when you pointed out that Aaron had posted in the discord, the, the 46 overtakes. overtakes. Yeah. 54 overtakes and only 26 of them were shown on the live broadcast. So to me, that's the missing piece, right? Like you're not showing the best parts of the race. If you're not showing the overtakes and the competitiveness, granted a lot of those could potentially be back and forth type of things. And, you know, switch through kind of like what we saw with Max and and Charles through the first few races. But like, that's also entertaining. So why not show that? Like I I, I saw somebody on, on Twitter at some point throughout the race that was like, wait, it's been five minutes since Christian Horner was, was talking on, on camera. So we should put him back on camera. And like, that's sometimes how I feel about it. Granted, like this is, that's also been the case with like Toto and, you know, Zach Brown, like literally every person that's, you know, throughout the last 10 years, that's somewhat interesting. They tend to like go right back to them. But Christian Horner has become that person because he's spicy. He's always, he's always a little bit more prodding with his words on camera compared to most of the other principles, you know, and, and team, uh, You can say he's charismatic. Like that dude is essentially auditioning for life after principling, if you will, because he is going to be the best pundit Formula One ever has because of the fact to Nick's point, he has a way with words. He has a loathsome or lovable personality, depending on what side of the coin you flip. And people are going to naturally gravitate towards his bitchiness. And that's the best way to describe it, because he truly is the player hater of the year for the last decade so if lewis was that dominant on the track as a race car driver mr horner is that dominant of being a malcontent if you will or a rabble rouser or a shit stir so my question then is is it because of the 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 broadcast yes this race felt bad or 
is it because we saw too much of Dan Marino's fucking statue in front of all of the podium ceremony? No. I mean, sorry, that's a, that's a little harsh. No, I love no, Dan Marino. Not. I actually am a fan. But like it, it seemed so overblown American to me. And I was just like, no wonder nobody likes Americans. It, this literally I joke about this a lot. So apologies if I sound like a broken record. This was America. Steve, uh, Steve Buscemi is the hello fellow Formula One fans. Aren't we all cool? Like, yes, this is how yes. it felt. So there's yeah. two two things here. One, the TV direction, which I've been on a rant about. I've already <laughs> talked about this. ISO, ISO. Whoever is running that TV direction, and I know it's got to be so hard to predict 20 cars on track and who's who's going to overtake who and who's, you know, battling or whatever. But, like, there was a time there where they showed probably five laps of the DRS train. You know damn well no one's getting out of that DRS train. It's a bunch of midfield cars, not particularly competitive. Like the two Astons were intermixed, I think, with the two Haases and uh, Merck, I think it was. Merck, Maybe I think like, an Alpine might have been in there as well at some point. Whatever. But like, you, you know that that DRS train is going to keep chugging along because... That's just where those cars are in the pecking order. And then it'll cut to David Beckham in the McLaren garage, probably high as a kite because he had no idea what was going on. And and then it'll cut to fans and then it'll cut to Dan Marino. And then, as you said, like, oh, you know, we haven't heard there's nothing going on in this race. So let's go to Christian Horner on the pit wall again. And I like that they mix up the team principles like it rotates a new team principle every race to give some color there, but I've been a little let down by Christian this season because he's not, he doesn't have his raging heart on for Toto because they're not battling this season. So he's just like, Oh yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Ferrari's doing pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, we uh, had a little problem with Checo and the, he's down on, you know, 20 Watts, 20 kilowatts on power. So um, yeah, we're going to figure it out. It's been kind of boring. Like it's not even spicy on the pit wall. This season, but the TV direction is absolute shit. Second point I'll make everything about the spectacle that they tried to present, like this is Miami, and they should have just had Will Smith. If he didn't just slap Chris Rock, it probably would have been there. Uh, they, 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 it was so America, like fuck yeah, like Team America kind of felt from a spectacle standpoint that it was a bit. A bit too much. Like the paddock, did you watch the pre-race? There was like 4,000 people in on the grid starting. And yeah. it's like, I, I didn't get to watch the Sky Sports coverage because they hate America and I can't get access to it. But like Brundle was literally having a hard time walking around in the sea of people that were there. That only yeah. happens in America, by the way, because last year at Austin, wasn't it the whole Meg the Stallion debacle where he was yeah. trying to shoot well, it in a journalistic sense? Yeah, <laughs> I love Martin Brundle for that. I can because I just did was probably the best line all season. But the everything about the spectacle uh, was bad. The track is OK. And I say OK in the sense that they need to get rid of the Mickey Mouse chicane. At the, what was it? Turn 14, 15, 16. They need to do something about that part, speed it up, smooth it out, whatever. And then for the love of God, fix the track surface. Because I feel like it could be a really good track, kind of Baku-esque, if 
the cars could go offline to overtake. And this is my one shout out to Danny Rick on the podcast. The one good overtake of the entire race to me was his overtake of Sonoda. He was, I think even Crofty or Brundle called yeah. him out and he was like, oh, there's last of the late breakers, Ricardo again. And I was like, yeah, that was like, you just <laughs> yeah, got 11th, 11th place. Good job, Danny Rick. But uh, he, I don't even want to talk about him because he's a mess right now. But the track has potential if they can lay down a new asphalt or something or improve, hold a bunch more races there and get it rubbered in something like that. It always rains in Miami. So it's always going to be a challenge, but they need to do something to the actual track surface because you saw at the very end of the race, Botas lose two places because he was, I guess he said he was looking in his mirrors too much, watching the Mercs behind him fight and went offline a tiny little bit. And that pulled him offline so bad that he lost two places because of it. So fix the damn track surface, fix the TV direction. That further lets me know that Terry Bodass is the greatest teammate Mercedes even <laughs> or ever had. Because even when he's not on the team, he's really looking forward to putting Lewis in a higher pedestal. The other thing I will say is the Martin Brundle cheap shot, if you will, because I, I thought that was a very Horner-esque bit of dialogue where he's like, what did he used to say? Lick it? Lick, lick the stamp? What was it? And I was like, okay, let's, the man's fallen quite a bit, Martin. Like, we don't need to go this level where we've forgotten the man's catchphrase. That man is the reason why you're here in Miami, essentially, because he's the one that we as a American audience gravitated towards when Drive to Survive happened. So let's, let's pump the brakes a little to borrow the bad pun that that is i mean not to pick on martin brundle but he did uh what he was it uh oh he he confused paolo Vettel and stroll yeah pa- <laughs> yeah paolo with patrick Mahomes. What? he also actually i think it was crafty but this is back to the, the the broadcast he would not get it into his head which car was which in the Astons? He confused yes. Vettel and Stroll for like 10 minutes and then tripled yeah. down on it. it was, that <laughs> was, was like, so oh. crazy. And he's known for like flubbing that from time to time. Like everybody kind of jokes about how Crofty gets gets the, the cars wrong from time to time. But like I think somebody corrected him and he still kept going. Like, come on. There's 20 cars. It's literally your job to know them. Not only that. Use your inference. Use your context clues. When has Lance yeah. Stroll ever been the better driver out of those two cars? <laughs> well, this weekend he was. He did finish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so. I like the track a lot. I didn't like. The spectacle, like it, it's just it's overkill. For some reason. You know, maybe maybe it's the the new factor has worn off for Austin, but like Austin doesn't feel, you know, as over the top spectacle. Although I say this knowing that Danny Rick was doing donuts in you know an old NASCAR and Shaq came in in a Cadillac with Longhorn you know across the front and yeah, it just it, I don't no, know. Like, I, I, get I, th- I thought the race was like. It was frustrating because we didn't see all that middle of the pack action throughout the race. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening and you're watching it and you're seeing the, you're seeing the, you know, you see the drivers moving up and down on the side of the screen. 
So I'm just thinking, like, how are the announcers ignoring some of these things? And one, like, I understand that, like, yeah, you can't possibly have, I mean, maybe they do, but you can't possibly have a camera on everything at all times, right? But if you're going to, it's going to be with Formula One, right? Like, there's, what, 3,000 cameras at the on average at courses right now? Something like that? It's like, it's something ridiculous. But it was just one of those things where the race itself, I think, to your point, Todd, if the track is, you know, I, I kind of just go to like a little bit safer, right? Like there needs to be room for air that's not going to take someone out of the competition completely, right? Not to say that, you know, we should be like babysitting these guys. They're all professionals and they all are great at what they do. But the like kind of to, to your point, like the just the line of cars, the train of cars that you're just like, okay, well, this is not entertaining at all. And yet on the other side of the track, people are passing each other or at least fighting for corners and and stuff. So one of the suggestions that I heard was uh, like, I guess like moving the DRS zones up or the, the, the uh, not the zones themselves, the, the like activation the points, point. the activation point. Thank you. Um, which I think is an interesting solution to some of the like lack of interestingness that happened at the front of the pack. Um, and then like, I'd like that. I like that little chicane corner other than the, that goes under the freeway on ramp or whatever that is. Other than the fact that it looked like it was, you know, Rocky mountains, you know, off-roading for every person that went through that that corner but like i like the idea of having something like that that's just like little technical little bit of a curveball thrown at you you know it's there but it still could really uh, you could really lose lose you know kind of control or place or whatever in something like that if you're not paying 100 percent attention kind of like the to what you said about botas right like this is on a different corner completely but like i feel like those types of little chicanes just leave just enough like room for air for these guys, in my opinion. I will say this. Uh, I usually think this way when it comes to TV shows. You can't judge a TV show by the first season because they're essentially still trying to figure it out. So under that context, maybe we don't judge this racetrack until year three or year four because by then they should get rid of the surfacing issues that Todd called out. By then they figure out what to do with the chicane. By then they have a better understanding of who to watch during this race because say what you will about all the other races, there's a history associated with them. So they've got a bigger sample size of knowing what to watch at a spa or at a Monaco. We don't have that yet with Miami and maybe that's why we're angry about it. No, it's it's not that though. Okay. I, I don't think it. Well, to me, it's not. You could be right, and I see like how you're saying like we've never experienced, or they even the TV broadcast people haven't experienced a, a race around there, so they don't necessarily know what corners are going to be exciting and most of the action. And but you can kind of tell just by how racing works. Like if there's a long straight and a DRS zone and then a tight corner, that's probably going to be an overtaking point. Right. But the, I, I, I didn't just start talking about the bad coverage on, on uh, the F1 TV direction. Um, it's been historically bad. I think it's somehow gotten worse since last year. Like the beginning of last year felt okay. And then maybe around the summer break last year and then on, it got 
really bad. And I don't think it's ever been good, but it, it's weird because the one good channel or whatever you want to call it on F1 TV that they had called the pit lane channel, which had split screen at all times. So it was like one screen of any pit lane action was going on one screen for the battle battle for the lead. And then whatever midfield battles that were interesting or close, whatever. And that was amazing because it was always something interesting happened and why they won't do that kind of setup on the main broadcast, at least at some times drives me insane. I don't know why they won't do it. But I, I I disagree with Nick on the chicane thing. I get what you're saying. Like, it leaves so little room for error. And I agree also with Rohit, they need to do some things to improve. Or I don't, can't remember which one of you said that. Improve the safety. Because the crash, uh, Nick, um, the crashes in free practice, um, signs, you know, kind of barely lost it right before the chicane and slammed that wall. Um. And that was his day done. And then Ocon also felt like such a slow crash or like not that extreme of a crash. And it was like apparently 51 G impact that like cracked his chassis. Wow. Um, so they definitely need to do something to improve safety, at least in certain spots of that track. But the chicane, I think the, what ruins it for me is it was tight chicane and then into an even tighter entry to that straight that was right under the freeway underpass that you were talking about, which it was so awkward and there's elevation change there that it was just like fumbly. Yeah. No, like, it's basically the exhibit meme of, Hey dog, I hear you like chicane. So here's a chicane on top of another chicane. <laughs> it was, it's a little <laughs> bit like that, right? Because like, like we talked about, we're going to Barcelona next and everyone hates the chicane at the end of the lap. Cause it screws up the overtaking. And to me, that chicane piece in Miami does the same thing because if they just rounded that turnout and made it one hard turn going into the entry to that straight, not only does it present an overtaking opportunity there, it speeds up the cars for the end of that straight for another overtaking opportunity at the end of that before the final hairpin. Formula one is a complicated sport, but Todd just helped us understand it a little bit better. So thank you for that, Todd. <laughs> exactly. All right, so before we go into uh, the fantasy stuff, let's talk about Pierre Gasly. Let's talk about Red Bull. Let's talk about AlphaTauri because I can't fathom how AlphaTauri is so far off with Red Bull seemingly leaps and bounds above everybody else. And I just realized, too, like, I don't know why I didn't realize this prior. Yuki Sonoda is, like, Ahead of Pierre Gasly in the points. By one point, if I remember correctly. I think he's up by four now. Sacre bleu. Come on, Pierre. <laughs> so the reason we're talking about this was during the last episode that some of you, if not all of you, will never get to hear because, you know, Internet's going to Internet. We were just kind of lamenting the fact that what is the realistic expectation for Alpha Tori? Because as we all know, the reason why they are as prevalent as they are is Red Bull had an athletic apparel range that they needed to commemorate. So that's why we have a secondary team, which is essentially serving as that infomercial for that. But then as we will kind of talk about, what do we expect from AlphaTauri in terms of their positioning, not only in the constructors, but also what would we imagine their top driver to be? Because I think Pierre Gasly has skewed that 
a little bit because of how prolific he's been. Because I would swear that the last two years, his full name is Pierre Gasly, is a top six driver or the best driver outside of the top six. It's a really interesting question, and I hadn't even thought about this until Nick, you brought it up last night, because we just kind of tore into Yuki on a previous episode, and I'm still convinced. I, I know he had a decent race. Um, well, actually, I wouldn't say he even had a decent decent race. He, again, got a little... Yeah. He burnt through his tires immediately, and then kind of got lucky in the shuffling, whatever. Um... But yeah, it it feels a bit weird because, as Rohit said, Mr. Top 6, Pierre Gasly, um, has been a a pillar of consistency for AlphaTauri, and AlphaTauri has been the only... They they actually have the only true team interrelationship in the sport, right? Like, we know that Ferrari has... Alpha, uh, Alpha Romeo and Haas as they're kind of like sister technic- team. Well, they're 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 customer teams, right? Right. So they run Ferrari parts, engine, etc. But AlphaTauri being is an is an actual true sister team. Uh, well, it's junior team, whatever. They just rebranded it to sister team, so they didn't feel like they were always the redheaded stepchild. And they had a really good year and it felt like a team on the up with Pierre Gasly's win in in Monza what was that two years ago um and he and then went on to continue to be Mr. Consistency after getting the boot from Red Bull the the proper daddy team um but he's not having a good year and I hadn't even thought about that until Nick brought it up yesterday but I don't know what the answer is, and I could, if this continues, could see both of them losing seats at the end of the season. Are you willing to go hot take on that? Because that might be the spiciest take we've had in the history of this show. No, because I don't, I think Pierre is a very, very good driver, and I think they will turn it around if the team can give him a car to compete with because right now the car is just not only unreliable but also kind of dog shit which how does that happen a completely new rule book right like that's the only explanation but like with with this like i mean with with red bull being so dominant i just have such a hard time understanding how it doesn't you just answered your own question in a way Red Bull is dominant. That's A1. Like, that has to happen. Let's say we get a scenario where last lap, first place Max, second place Gasly. Do you think Gasly is going to get racing orders? Or do you think he's just going to be deployed as a defensive wall to prevent whoever's in third place in that hypothetical scenario from overtaking Max? Like, it is the gift and the curse of being that team, that sister team. And that's why I also wonder... What is Pierre Gasly's endgame? Because, yes, he's a loyal person. He's loyal to the infrastructure. I mean, we talked about this a little bit with Albon as well, where for all of the faults that both of those drivers had with Red Bull, they continued to stay loyal to that infrastructure and that team because maybe they're the ones that got their first opportunity, but they should be a little bit more selfish. To me, if I'm Pierre Gasly, I've got to look at life post-Red Bull. I think he would do wonders 
as the eventual Fernando Alonso replacement or even the Seb replacement because Seb hasn't had a good year. And I'm wondering, is he prone to retire based on how dog shit his year has been primarily because of that car? I mean, I guess I'm asking more in like the, the, just like the pure performance aspect of the cars, right? Like to Todd's point, car, Alfa cars seem to be pretty trash this year compared to the last couple of years. With Red Bull's dominance this year, like already out of the gates being what seems like so far advanced beyond any of the other teams, I just don't understand how that doesn't translate to at least something consistent with the other team. But they're not like allowed- you said, it's, it's, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That they're not allowed to share other than prescriptive parts, or or uh, that's not prescriptive parts are the ones that all the teams have to use. Um, uh, what's the damn term for it? Noted parts. I can't remember the the, ter- the term for it now. But there's a specific list of parts that a manufacturer or can const- yeah manufacturer in this case can share. With the other teams, like uh, Haas is or McLaren is running Mercedes power unit, gearbox, and I think rear suspension. Maybe not the last one, but something like that. But that's my point, right? Like the the Ferraris are all doing pretty consistently better than last year, this year. Yep. But it's Ferrari. It's it's all it's not like they're sharing secrets. It's just you got Ferrari power plants and drivetrains, right? So, like, how does that not exist for the Red Bull team, which has been Honda and still is basically Honda underneath? It just is. It just doesn't make any sense to me because it's it seems even different to me. And I, I don't know the specific rules like around that, but like it seems even different that that it is called like a sister team as opposed to, you know, a customer team. Right. Like the way you know, Haas is a customer of Ferrari or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's why I just, I feel like there's just such a discrepancy between those two teams that it's just like, what the fuck is going on? It really does feel weird. You're totally right that they fell off so hard, but I, it literally has to come down to their concept or their development of this new car under this new regulation because it they are not as easy on the tires like the Red Bull is. As you can see with Yuki burning through his tires every race, and maybe that's partially the driver or probably mostly the driver, but they're not as good on the tires. Their top speed, based on, I'm guessing, aerodynamic concept, isn't as high as the Red Bulls. It's up there, but it's not as high, um, even with the Honda power unit in that car. So they're just having a harder time with the real book and they started off on the wrong foot and now they're trying to play catch up. And I, I don't know if they will, they can, you know, share certain things between the teams as we've talked about being a sister team, but they can't be like, Hey, just copy our car. You know, it's not like a pink Mercedes force India situation where they're running last year's car or anything because they can't. Right. And to your earlier question, Todd, I think I found the term you were looking for, open source components, which are components whose design and intellectual property is made available to all teams. That awkward silence tells me we need to just. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, it's time then we we can talk, uh, talk a little fantasy and put AlphaToria to bed. Let's do it. 
I feel like we were a little more on fire about that last night. So, no, but thanks, I think it's, thanks, it's, it's, the conversation also shifted because last night I felt it was more Pierre Gasly focused. And apologies to the listener, you guys aren't going to hear those pearls of wisdom that the three of us came up with. But this was more around the actual team itself. And to Nick's point, like, why am I not seeing column B react the same way to column A? Because the thought is they should be covered under the same terminology. Yeah, and I think I think you know the question is still Pierre Gasly, right? Like we talked about Yuki previous episode, mainly because we're all fans of of both these guys. It's it seems like you know they might not be our favorite drivers on the grid, but like they are definitely two of the most enjoyable you know people out there. And I think that's the hard part of like not understanding where they land after this, and you know probably in our next episode or within the next couple of episodes, we'll talk about Audi and Porsche coming back into formula one. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be more teams in formula one, whether we want it or not. And I think that is going to be interesting for guys like Pierre who have shown, you know, glimpses of greatness, but for whatever reason, it's just not happening right now. And I, I think that's, you know, that's kind of the most interesting question around this season so far is like, how much of this is like the new cars being to blame and how much of this is the drivers not being able to adapt to adapt to the new cars? Because I feel like those two things are happening simultaneously for a lot of drivers right now. Yeah. It is a grid of haves and have nots in a way that we haven't seen before, because it literally feels like half the grid can figure this new drivers out and the other half aren't. I guess one last question on this topic, because we do love to beat a good uh, dead horse to the ground. Pierre Gasly's contract ends in 2023. Does he extend? I think that the conversation so far has been, is he willing to leave Red Bull? Would he really go back to a team that gave him the boot the first time? If I'm Pierre Gasly, I'm not going to. That's... I'm trying to showcase my talents as well as I can in the car for the time being so I can get a drive with, with uh, you know, uh, maybe a Ferrari-based team or a Mercedes-based team at this point because there really isn't uh, anywhere else to go. The, the ideal situation, right? Think 2023, Alonso is finally 107, and he's like, okay, I finally, I guess I'm going to stop racing and he goes to Alpine and they have a t- double French lineup. Like that would be amazing. But I, I just checked the stats on his race results. So he was running in the top 10 in uh, Bahrain until he blew up. So he would have had a top a points finish there. He then had an eighth and he had then had a ninth and a 12th. And then this weekend also had a DNF. So he is performing, I guess, better than it feels like he is. But again, I think that's down to it could be what Rohit just said or Nick just said. I mean, um, are they figuring out like is the driver not adapting to the car or is the car just that dog shit? I would lean towards in Alfatari's case that it's a bad car. Uh, I feel like he's young enough to adapt well, um, but only time's going to tell on this. I think that's the interesting thing about Pierre, though, is like when you look at the the race positions for the season, Yuki's driven better than him. Like, 
But again, I, that's wild to me. He he blew up right in Bahrain, and that gave Yuki a points finish because of that. Otherwise, Yuki would be outside the points. So there's a four point swing. I know it's like yeah. At the same time, it's very small and a very big difference in Formula One because tenth is worth one point. So if you have you know four more tenth place finishes, like that's a big result as opposed to your teammate. But Pierre Gasly might get a, a six and Yuki DNFs again, and then it's a ten point swing the other way, right? Yeah, and and points wise, I'm not looking at the points necessarily. I'm just like, look, you know, you pull it up and it's like, okay, Yuki has a an, a seven seventh, eighth, and twelfth, and a fifteenth with one DNS. You know, Pierre is at seven or sorry, eighth, ninth, and twelfth with two DNFs, and like, yeah, the DNFs are obviously the car's fault both times, right? Like, I don't think, yeah, well, it was, no, it was the, a car issue, right? Oh no, I no, no, still this don't one believe was, this it. Was, yeah, he said that. I, I know he was having like a steering issue or whatever right before that wreck with Lando, but, and I know, I guess you can argue Lando should have given him a little bit more space, but to Lando's defense, like if you're going to, if your car's retiring, then get the hell off the racing line. Like I shouldn't have to go around you. Yeah. But that was his fault. Kind of. I mean, at least on some level, like the car was moving, so it was kind of driving. So just, Turn the steering wheel a little yeah. bit to the right. Yep, I agree. All right, all right. Let's cut it off. Let's let's talk. Let's talk fantasy. All right, let's do this. <laughs> um, we'll start with the F. Actually, we're going to start with the league, Voldemort League that shall not be named. Which I just learned something new tonight. That this league has a very interesting um, aspect to it. That once you've used a driver for five races, done. They're done for the season. So, like, I had a pretty solid lineup, and I wasn't leading the league. But <laughs> I I tried to re-sign Charles, right? Because yep. like, he was, like, uh, cheap enough, I think, at the beginning of the season, at least. To, he oh, no, was. he wasn't cheap. No, he wasn't. Sorry, that's that's wrong. That's the F1 league. But I tried to re-sign Charles, and it was locked. And I'm like, that's really interesting. And then I tried to sign Max again, and it was locked. And then I noticed that all five of the drivers that I had previously had for the last five races were locked. So once you use them for five races, they're gone forever. Did you just monster drive in your first week in this league? I <laughs> guess so. I don't really know because I'm not winning. So I didn't, you know, do what Nick's brothers did and just try to be in first for the first week. Um, but yeah, I had to sign a very interesting lineup for that league. Uh, but... The standings for that league are uh, the uh, Trav still in first. Um, AA Ron is still in second, and I am in third place apparently. Hey, so am I giving Nick competition in last fail, uh, last place? <laughs> I was going to say I haven't logged into that league in like three weeks. So if you, as long as you have you signed all drivers for five races, then at least you had drivers for all of the races so far. Um, I'm going to have to make sure I check this because because of this newfound strategy, um, I only signed my next lineup of drivers for three races because I was like, well, maybe I'm going to want to save, Somebody. you know, Lando yeah. for a later race or something. So, um, yeah. That's a fantasy update for the Voldemort League. Moving on to the 
F1 official Discord Fantasy League, which is now reloading. Um, I believe our quiet yet lurking friend Nicholas C. Vertappen Dadass is still uh, in front for the season. Uh, followed up by A.A. Ron. Again, all Haas, no breaks. Um, and in third place, our Canadian friend, Iron Trav, Trevor D. Um, for the, the week, it's let's check the results for Miami. And, oh, okay. Um, Nicholas C. had a tops of the week with 249 points. Um, uh, your brother, Alpha Ash Ari, uh was in AKA second with monster two, drive aka monster drive uh 247 points and again aaron strong strong uh strong week with uh 245 points in third just to make sure that we're not gonna miss out on the hosts uh for the league rohit you are in sixth place right behind me in fifth Hey. And Nick, you are in 10th. The speeding burritos starting to get a little bubble guts there. Starting to go the wrong direction. <laughs> By the way, billion dollar idea. If any of our listeners are inspired to start their own Haas centric podcast, here's your name. Haas holes. <laughs> I would go with all aboard the Steiner ship, but that's just, I mean, I know that I didn't make that up. That came out of the memes from the, Drive to Survive show, but damn, that's the standardship is full speed right now. All right. Uh, and last but not least, we have the Exhaust Notes Podcast Fantasy Draft League. Um, we had a pretty good, pretty close week. Well, finally, some good news. Aaron isn't, uh, you know, dominating <laughs> one league. Um, so we'll start with him in last place with a total of 38 points followed by myself in third uh with a total of 49 points nick with a respectable 53 points and rohizi takes the top spot with uh 55 points so season totals season totals on that um we have nick in last place with 244 not so one, fast. One point ahead, we have Rohit with two forty-five. Um, I I came in. I'm in second place currently with two hundred and fifty points even, and then Aaron uh, on top with two fifty-two. So, if he wins all three leagues, um, he's never invited back to the podcast. <laughs> no, or no, the Trav's going to shut him down. Trav is. I really shut hope. We need it. Where is Trav? He's Mr. Fantasy Domination. I was going to say, Trav is the Verstappen to Aaron's Lewis Hamilton. And I think that's apropos because I'm pretty sure Lewis Hamilton is Aaron's favorite driver. And you don't have to ask Aaron about that. He told me that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I was thinking we need to get Aaron on uh, for, for potentially the next episode with around the conversation around Porsche and Audi. Yeah, I was going to say this. Uh, are we a quarter of the way through the season? Because I think we should do also an awards season of like, okay, biggest disappointment of the quarter or best driver, most unexpected. Yeah. That'd be cool. That would be cool. I also thought about having him on 
this week, actually, because we almost watched the race together because we both had to watch it late. So we were texting that day. Um, and somehow neither of us got it spoiled for ourselves. So shout out to self-control. Um, but uh, going back to my original question, good old uh, Travi P is in eighth place in the Discord Fantasy League. So you need to get it together. And he's already used his Joker card to change his entire team. So... I'm convinced he's letting somebody else use his fantasy league because the Travis I know would never do such a faux pas in fantasy. Yeah, he's really – he needs to get it together. Um, So I'll finish it up with this because I just thought of this and I wanted to ask it earlier. Who was your driver of the weekend for the Miami GP? Oh, obviously Dan Marino. (laughs) (laughs) Please never give out football helmets again. Carlos Sainz so looked awkward. Carlos Sainz doing the salute in his helmet <laughs> yeah. looked like like a 12 year old has found his dad's football helmet and was putting it on. It reminded me of the old Mike Myers character from Saturday Night Live. Uh, was it Philip, the kid who like you fed him chocolate and he was super strong because he was so amped up? Because he just looks so out of place with that. My driver of the week uh, is my my dear friend Esteban Ocon because. 20th at the start of the race all the way to 8th and granted that was also assisted by Fernando Alonso being Fernando Alonso but I think it's something to be said that he's one of those drivers that we've characterized as the haves in terms of I think he's figured this car out a bit faster than some of the Parisian peers that he's often been compared to in Pierre Gasly I have one more one more uh, non-driver of the week my like whatever you call it I forget what site it was, which is good because I can't call them out specifically. But one of the sites quoted Helmet Marco as saying that uh, that Checo lost four seconds, was losing four seconds per lap uh, uh, during the race, during that, you know, little slip up, whatever issue he was having. And I was thinking like, wait, why are you quoting Helmet Marco when we all listen to him say that over the radio? Like he literally says, I'm losing four seconds a lap (laughs) and they're crediting helmet Marco. Like what? No, I think the actual context was, uh, so Sergio came over the radio and said, engine powers down, engine powers down or whatever. And the, his race engineer just said, Oh no, you lost the toe. Everything's cool because nothing was coming up for them on their computers yeah. or whatever. And he's like, what do you mean I just lost a toe? I just lost three seconds on the straight, I think is what he said. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And then Helmet Marco came out and said he was losing four seconds a lap to the, the power difference. But Helmet Marco, Helmet Marco, I'm so sick of that evil villain looking asshole. <laughs> like, he's just like kind of casually racist and literally just shits on everyone and said like Lando's the only talented driver on the grid besides Max. Yeah. That's a, that's a hot take. Like they're (laughs) all talented, right? To some degree, they got money or not. (laughs) They're driving a car 200 miles an hour and not killing themselves. There, there's some talent there. Yeah, exactly. The doctor. Yeah, the good Dr. Evil. Um, no, I was going to say, if Formula One has a bit of Game of Thrones about it, where there's about five or six different villains that are there simultaneously, and there's a clear hierarchy. And as much as we like to give Lawrence Stroll's dad the top villain spot, really, it's Helmet Marco, and it's not even close. He's got Verstappen-like speed when it comes to just sheer douchebaggery. What the hell was the the main evil guy's name in Game of Thrones? Like the 
Ice King. The White Walker. The Night, no, there was yeah. Night King. The Night King. Night King, yeah. Helen Marco is yep. now forever the Night King. <laughs> yeah. Because he looks just uh, as I uh, see. I was thinking withered. a little more Tywin Lannister, but yeah, I don't think Helmet Marco ages. I think he's cryogenically frozen every night. He definitely is on life support for sure. Anyway, so sorry, Nick, your driver of the weekend was. Uh, you know, that's a tough question. Probably George. Because he had to fight past Lewis. Yeah, like, I was surprised. Started way, had a terrible qualifying, right? Like, I just wasn't expecting him to be anywhere near what he finished sixth. I thought, I thought he'd be. 10, 11, 12 based on qualifying. So interesting. Yeah, I would like I think he had a good drive, but I think he really benefited from that safety car. I think that's that's what makes it really tough to even call a driver of the day, right? Because like of course Max drove and won. Like obviously he did a great job. Charles is right there with him. Carlos is right there with them. You know. If if Checo I, I mean, who's to say that Checo like even with the issues, engine issues, I'm. I think Red Bull's still probably a better car than the rest of the cars on the grid. So, I don't know. Is it really that? It's not really a drive of the driver of the day if if your car is going to put you there naturally. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. But uh, you know, it's it's an interesting question. Like George did have a good race. Granted, he benefited, but he was able to put the car where it needed to be to have the opportunity to benefit. Right. So. You can argue that for for anybody. I'm gonna have to agree and say Ocon. I wanted to say good old Terry Botas, but uh, that little look in the rearview mirror that pulled him offline uh, really spoiled his race. But damn, is he having a hell of a season? And his just smug smile all the time in every interview when they're all just saying like, "Oh, you're having such a good time at this team," and. You must be so thankful you're not a Mercedes and his smug smile is so good. You know what so. it reminds me of? It's the Luigi stare in Mario Kart or whenever they figured out they would have different emotions in, I think, one of the next-gen versions. Because, yeah, that dude is essentially the Luigi to Matt, uh, Lewis's Mario. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. in the end, I think Ocon, P18, all the way up the grid is is pretty impressive. So. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting because Botas... Last comment. Botas's is little, you know, slip up there is basically everything that, in my opinion, made him frustrating as a Mercedes, you know, kind of a fan of Mercedes throughout the years, right? Because he could run with Lewis 55 out of 57 laps and he would make one little mistake. And like, that's really the difference between like, you know, being midfield and, and being great like one of the greatest of all time right like it's like max is not making any mistakes right now he's in that position that lewis has been in for the past eight years lewis is still making some mistakes regardless of how shitty the car is there's been some times where you're like what lewis is that you you know but anyway all right we've been going for a long time so let's wrap guys let them know how they can find you on all the social media sites Instagram, RoadM13. Twitter, Roheasy. Now I pass it to my rhyming partner. Uh, T-Yeezy on Instagram, T-Yeezyf1 on Twitter, and most importantly, you can follow us at uh, exhaustnuts.fm and all 
on all major podcast platforms. Definitely. You can follow me at Nick Engvall on all the platforms. Hit the first link in the description to join us in the discord. We can have a, a lot more conversation. There's a pretty good conversation this weekend around the race. We did not live stream, but we will get back to that in the future. But the conversation in the discord was, was worth tuning in for as you're watching the race or throughout the race, race weekend. Thanks all for supporting us. We appreciate you. We'll catch you on the next one. Leave us a review if you haven't. We would definitely appreciate it. Catch you next time. Where are the Peace. napkins? Pierre Gasly to Alfa Romeo. I'm speaking it into existence.